Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for this morning is Revelation 14. Uh, we're going to start at verse 14 as well. Uh, this text, in, in case you're you know, visiting with us today or you just haven't paid quite close enough attention, it's in, the, in, the, in between two of the sevenfold visions, right? There's three sevenfold visions. After chapter 14, we bump into the last of those uh, we haven't covered yet, but we'll see the one is about the angels and the plagues. We'll get into that for a little bit there too, but there's sort of these little interludes between these three sevenfold visions, and this one is speaking about sort of end times from the perspective of the Lord. End times meaning not just the, the last day when people are raised from the dead, but also end times meaning at the end of our lives, um, what is going on and what happens from, from the perspective of heaven. So this is uh, Revelation 14, verse 14. It's page 52 in your nifty little Bibles there if you want to read along. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. This is the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, um, first, I do want to just put in a little bit of a plug for um, sticking around after the service for uh, our just brief Omega Hour, the first one. I know it's a little bit boring, I get it, because we're talking church business stuff, um, but it really is the best time, because normally when we do State of the Church before we had that time after uh, one service, when we still had two services, I'd have to like squeeze it in preaching somehow, and it, it just never really felt right and and didn't feel the right way to do it is to, is to do it separately from preaching. So we get a chance to do that. Um, and there's really good and important stuff to hear in that. So please grab coffee, snackies, whatever you want. Come back in and uh, we'll go through that. I don't think it'll take more than 20, 30 minutes uh, at the very most. That's only if there's a ton of questions, uh, which is another nice part about doing State of the Church this way is you could ask me questions. So that's, that's kind of nice too. Um, but then Omega Hour moving forward is not going to be businessy, churchy stuff. Next week, we're doing an overview of the Old Testament. Um, and you're thinking, well, how are you going to cover all of the books of the Old Testament in one hour? Well, we're not going to cover the books. I'm going to give you, paint you the narrative of the Old Testament. Um, just give an overview of that chunk, just so you can kind of get an idea of what these books are, where did they come from, how old they are, who wrote them, purpose, design, that kind of stuff, to maybe on your own make it a little bit easier to dive in and do some scripture reading. So that's where we're going with all of that. But this morning, um, in our text this morning, we discover 
um, an uncomfortable and unavoidable truth. Hell exists. Hell exists, and um, I'll tell you something. The, the truth of it existing is something that has been attempted to be avoided by a lot of people. And I would say, from my, my personal experience or perspective, it seems to me that the, the people who most want to avoid the, the idea that it exists are Christians. I mean, there's, there's more talk amongst Christian denomination and Christians uh, about this reality, uh, about this thing, to try and put it in, in some sort of positive light as though it's, it just doesn't exist or it, it's not so bad or you just kind of disappear or God would never do that. It's interesting that it, that it comes from Christians because I think at the very core and base of the conversation around eternal judgment is this idea that as Christians, we want a sense of justice and love and compassion and mercy for all people. And then that's a really good thing. In fact, that's, that is the story of Christianity. The, the, the basis is this is for all people. There's, there's nobody who's excluded from the good news of eternal life away from hell. There's, there's no one who's excluded based off of their, their race or where they live or, or how much money they make or popularity. There's, all of that is, is it's, it's wide open to anybody who believes but that unavoidable truth is powerful. What I should say is the, the ability to avoid that truth is powerful. But that's part of human nature. We get really good at avoiding the truth, right? We, we get really good at pretending like this thing that is an absolute certainty doesn't really exist if I just don't pay attention or if I just hope enough let me give you a, a couple of examples. I, I got to start with, um, as a Vikings fan, <laughs> you, just, you just know there is this unavoidable truth that when we get to the playoffs and it's fourth and eight and we need the first down because it's the end of the game, there's no time left, it is an unavoidable truth that when you need eight yards... Kirk Cousins is going to throw a three-yard pass to a guy covered. It just—it is just the it hap, It will always happen. It will always, always. It's an unavoidable truth, or the unavoidable truth that we're getting older, and we we think we can go back out and, and do those things that we used to do physically. We can run the way we used to. We can work the way we used to. We can we can work out the way that we used to, and then we start to discover I'm getting older, but, but I'm going to just pretend like it's not happening and, and just go hard this one time, and, and it'll be fine. And then we wake up barely able to move because our muscles are so sore and our knees hurt and all of that. Or the unavoidable truth that, that this relationship isn't a good relationship. That, that knowing this person and, and continuing being with this person, know that it's toxic for me, it's, it's not good for them, it's... It's an unavoidable truth. You know it's true, but, but you love them, and, and you just want to pretend like it's not real and, and not address it. In fact, if you find a good uh, mental health counselor, therapist, one of, the, one of the greatest things they can do for you, one of the most powerful things they can do, is just hold you to an unavoidable truth. 
confront you with it and say, but this is true, and this is real. And, and, you, and you sit in a room with somebody who's not going to let, let you go of that and, and pretend it isn't real. So these, these instincts, these, these desires, whatever they are, to avoid these unavoidable truths do really have power over us. And they can seem to sort of like loom over us as, as though um, th- this terrible thing could happen at any moment and we, we just pretend it isn't there, but we can still feel it. We still know it. We still know 14 weeks in that Kirk Cousins is going to blow it. We just know it, right? This unavoidable truth... I think we can find, when it comes to the topic for today, here in chapter 14, uh, verse 19. 14, verse 19, So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And it goes on to talk about um, the, the amount of blood. If, if you're looking for significance in those numbers, it's, it's really just to illustrate it's, it's a vast amount. It's a lot, is all it's really saying. But we don't like to think about God in those terms, of his wrath, of his judgment, of his anger. But this anger and wrath of God is actually important when it comes to what we believe about him. I'm going to get to that in just a moment, but I want to talk about this thing that is happening from the perspective of heaven. This is a, it's an ongoing harvest, is the next point in the sermon. The ongoing harvest, if we look at 14 verses 15 and 16, it says, then I, oops, sorry, and another angel came out of the temple calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap for the hour to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. Meaning that what John is witnessing is an ongoing process. So while it does speak, this text, about the very end time when Jesus returns and all of those are judged eternally, the ongoing harvest is happening continuously. And that harvest is one that, that Jesus talks about a couple of times. Right? In the Gospel of Matthew, he tells the, the parable of the wheat and the weeds, or maybe you've heard it in the old school English, the wheat and the tares, that the, the parable Jesus tells the story of a guy goes out and he plants his field with good seeds so there won't be any weeds, but then in the middle of the night, the enemy comes and plants weeds along with it. It starts to grow, and, and the, the servants of this guy say, should we go out and pull all the weeds? And he says, no. Wait to the harvest, and we'll harvest all of it, and then the weeds will be thrown away, thrown into the fire. That's the imagery that Jesus gives. This is the ongoing harvest that happens all the time. Each and every one of us will experience, and, and everybody who's ever lived has experienced this harvest. It is our own personal death. When we die, it's, it is, and, and that is Christians and non-Christians, believers, non-believers, they're all harvested from the earth just as our text says that they are. And when we think about that, we think, well, what about those people who've never had a chance to hear? Or those people who um, didn't understand it because they didn't have it explained well to them? Or those people who just needed a little bit more time and maybe they would have believed at some point? 
These are some of those, the causes for that, that undeniable truth that, that causes this frustration or this desire, really, when it comes to hell to pretend that it doesn't exist. Because it wouldn't be fair, it wouldn't be just, and it wouldn't be right. And I understand that, that thinking. Let me tell you where it's really coming from in your own heart, in your own mind is we tend to only understand something from a certain frame of reference. And, and without a frame of reference, it, it is impossible to imagine or even conceive of something. Um, I was thinking about this. Imagine a world in which birds never existed. <laughs> imagine if, if in creation God didn't make birds. So there was just nothing flying around, no, no flying insects or anything like that. Would we have even thought to invent an airplane? Would have ever even crossed our minds that, that maybe we could go zipping through the air on these things called wings? That know, Maybe we would or maybe we wouldn't, but you, you can imagine the, the lack of any frame of reference for flying with, without, without knowing all these birds, aerodynamic stuff. Without that, you couldn't even conceive of, of flying. So we need a frame of reference, and our frame of reference for God, because we are created in his image, is a person. Well, God is three persons in one. And already, as soon as I say that, we go, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. I go, that's right, because our frame of reference isn't perfect. Our frame of reference has a corruption to it that doesn't understand. And God truly isn't a person the way that we understand because the only way we've ever understood people is as flawed, limited, created beings. But we don't have literally any other frame of reference to even begin to understand. So God, God describes himself. God, God projects himself to us in terms that we do understand. So we don't want to over-personify God, but on the, on the same hand, we have to recognize that that's the only way we can. So we look to ourselves for some frame of reference, and we start to think, what would be just, what would be right, and what would be loving? And for us, and a lot of the answers to those questions are, well, what would be just and right and loving if hell didn't exist? That seems like it fits my frame of reference better. But this is God. And God isn't a human person like us. With a little asterisk that we'll get to in a minute. <laughs> right? So this ongoing harvest does seem like it doesn't fit. But this is where two things are, are really important. The first one, that the thing is really important, is, is to remember you're corrupted with sin. So what seems right and just and loving to you should always be suspect in your mind. You, you should always second-guess yourself. Is, is this right? Um, let me give an example of, of how I think about this. It's, it's a lot like nerds and Excel spreadsheets, right? Anybody here love an Excel spreadsheet? Nerd. <laughs> right? If you love an Excel spreadsheet, and then for you, those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, an Excel spreadsheet is just this goofy grid thing where you can make rules up, and then you put numbers in, and then the right number always comes out. You get the rules right, the right number always comes out. 
So God's Excel spreadsheet is perfect. So you put a certain data set into it, it comes out perfect every single time. But if you have just one of the little boxes wrong, one of the little rules wrong, one little thing incorrect, then the data comes out different. You can look at it and go, no, I I put the numbers in, it did the thing, and it came out right. But if you don't recognize, you know, maybe my data doesn't match God's data because my my Excel spreadsheet, my operating system, my, my person is flawed. It's that humility that is required to, to understand that if God indeed is God and not a person like us, then he is perfect and his Excel spreadsheet, his data is always perfect and always right. And so when we see something and we go, that doesn't seem like the right answer, that doesn't seem like, we have to check ourselves and go, except God. God is right. And I may not like it. It may not, it may not mesh with my own thoughts and my own feelings. It, it may not be harmonious to me, but I have to recognize that I'm sinful and flawed and he isn't. The, the problem lies with me, not with God. So as this ongoing harvest happens and we step back and we say, we feel, I don't like this, I don't want this reality to exist where, where there is punishment and there is, is death and there's eternal separation from God, all these things that we don't want to be a part of anybody's story because we love people and we value and cherish people. We don't want that to exist. We then trust and have faith that he is good and that he knows and understands and and that he just is different enough from us that he is just and he is right. Because this is the thing, if if God has, if, if person is our frame of reference for God, he has shown to us things that are, are like values or uh, uh, characteristics, personality traits of a God who is good but is also just. A God who is loving but also has anger and wrath. He's shown us that, that he has these things. It's really about the application of the data and we have to trust believe and have faith in who he is because who he is matters. This is the crux of it. This is a sermon. Um, it is about hell, but it's, it's truly about faith because hell is, is scary, as Dan was saying. It is terrifying. It's bad. It's all of those things. But as our faith strengthens and our faith grows, the, the scariness of it, the fear of it, even the, the hesitancy to talk about it diminishes because this picture of Jesus is important. I'm going to give you a couple of scripture examples why. The first, 14 verse 14. Then I looked and behold a white cloud seated on the cloud, one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. But then we've got Daniel 7, 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. 
And he came to the Ancient of Days, that's the Father, and he was presented before him. So Daniel had a vision way back in the Old Testament about this same sort of thing. And then we've got Matthew 24, verse 30. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. There are countless other texts that that we can point to that go, this cloud, this Son of Man, this crown, all of these things, all the way back in the Old Testament, going back thousands of years, are pointing to this person, Jesus, but, but we don't need to spend time on that. We know it's Jesus, and that's the important part. Who he is matters. This is the incarnation and why it's so important that God became flesh. He became like us. You see, when when something somewhere unknown looms and exists and you haven't confronted it, when, when that unavoidable, unknown thing, because you won't look in that corner, you won't dig to that place in your mind, or, or you just don't want to go face this truth, it becomes, it becomes more and more abstract and unknown, and that's terrifying. Who knows what might happen, but I'm just not going to look. Who knows? But if, if I just don't pay attention, maybe it'll go away, but it's not going to go away. It's not going to go away. And then you get terrified of, oh, who knows? The unknown is actually terrifying. So God makes himself known to us by becoming human, by becoming a person with flesh. And this known God of ours, that he has flesh, that he knows what it is to be human makes all the difference in the world because when we're confronted with this known truth of who God is in Jesus, we can understand Jesus is the one who does this reaping. That I can trust because he's like me and he's not so different. I say I'm corrupted, but at least the one who is judging is human. He's not alien. He's not so foreign. He's, he's not a weird, bug-eyed, green little guy. He's, he's us. That's who's going to cast judgment. That's who's making the decisions. And yeah, I don't understand them. And on some level, I don't want to agree with God's decisions. And that's okay. It's, it's okay as a Christian to say, I don't like this, but that's me not God. I don't want this to be true, but it is true. I don't like this. I hate the concept of hell. I personally hate it. I've argued with God about it. I've, I've been mad at him because I know people who don't believe who've passed away. I, that, that, that sticks in your head and, and you get to this place where you're frustrated. You don't want to talk about it. Just the unavoidable truth that, that's looming over me, but if I don't look, maybe it'll go away. But the more I know Jesus, the more I trust. The more I know Jesus, the more I have faith. Because, because he didn't have to take on flesh. Certainly didn't have to be nailed to a cross and give his life that my sins would be forgiven so that my Excel spreadsheet, that my operating system that is flawed would be perfected in death to the resurrection. So I can see that kind of compassion, that kind of love, that kind of self-sacrifice. I can believe that even though I disagree with him (laughs) on some things, where I would have designed it better myself, I'm sure, if I were God, I can trust him. And I can say he has a better way. 
And, and whatever he has done is just, and it is right. Whatever judgment he makes is loving, even if I can't see it. It is compassionate, even if I can't see it. It is something more than I can understand, because this is Jesus, not just the Jesus who was born 2,000 years ago. This is the Jesus all the way back in time in the days of Daniel, who was before incarnated, hanging out with the Father, the three of them, all eternal. This is the Jesus who was before Daniel when he appeared to Moses in a burning bush. This is the Jesus that has been part of this story from the very beginning. This is the Jesus that walked with Adam and Eve in the garden, who was present there with them. That's who this Jesus is. We sometimes say to our kids, uh, because I said so, right? When they ask a question, because you don't have the life experience. You don't have 45 years in to understand why you can't do this, or you should do that, or this is important. You don't have the life experience. And, and that's just a simple example of a little kid with these big questions. We're talking about a God who has existed forever, from all of time. And sometimes when I don't understand and, and I say, Lord, why does this even exist? Why do you allow this? Why is this part of the whole equation? He says, because I said so. <laughs> and I just trust that it's good, it's right, it's loving, it's compassionate. Because that's who he is to me. And that's who he is to you. Loving and kind and compassionate. And this is the God that we preach, not just on Sunday mornings to all the believers gathered together, but this is the God that we preach to our neighbors. Who Maybe they look at you and go, oh, so you think I'm going to hell? No. no the Christian message isn't about ducking and dodging hell. As much as that is a, a valid desire of ours, the Christian message is about a God who loves you so much to rescue you from it. About the, the humbleness to say, I'm clearly flawed and sinful and I don't understand something, but that's me. And the message that God is going to take this me, this Luke, this you, and, and wash in the waters of baptism and make holy and clean and then give eternal life if we just believe in him, not by anything that we do, but just trusting and believing him, this God who would, who would make the design like that, not that I would have to work really hard, bust my hump, do whatever I can to please this thing. No, that, he says, no, we're not going to do it that way. Here's how we're going to do it. You just got to trust you just got to believe. That's all you got to do. And eternal life is yours. That's the message of our Christian faith. That, that, that's the message of living faith. That's the message of Scripture. Not to avoid hell, but to know what it is to be loved and, and have a relationship with God is a foretaste of heaven and the resurrection to come. Amen. May the peace which surpasses human understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You guys are going to stay seated while the kiddos come on in. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for the good gift that you have given to us of eternal life. I pray, Lord, for the, the humility um, that, that is required to continue to bend the knee before you and to trust in you. I pray for that humility for all of us. And I ask, Heavenly Father, that our faith would grow to that point and that place where we simply have faith and trust in you so much we don't even think about the alternative. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give to you his peace. Amen.